All right, we are going through some psalms over the summer, and uh, today we're going to be in Psalm 96. Psalm 96 is a call to worship. It's a call to worship the God who reigns over all. It's a, it's a hymn or a song of praise, and we need calls to worship, and we are called to worship not just on Sundays, clearly, and not just in our singing, clearly, but certainly included in those things. So what we're going to do today is we're going to work through this, and then we're going to sing. We're going to actually do what it calls us to do, because um, there, there is certainly a lot of worth in considering what it is to praise God, but we, we must actually move past that and praise God and declare his, his worth. So that's what we're going to do. Uh, there are, just to give you that kind of outline of this psalm, there are three calls to worship in this psalm, each increasing in scope. So the first calls God's people to worship. Uh, the second calls all the peoples of the earth to worship. And then the third calls all of creation, not just people, but all that God has created, all of created order, to, to worship Him. Okay, so we'll start out with the first six verses, which are the first, which is the first call to worship, and we'll, we'll spend most of our time working through this one. It says, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless His name. Tell of His salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. So there's two calls here. God's people are called to do two things. First, they are called, and we are called, to sing to the Lord. Now, perhaps you were raised in the church, and, and singing together like this is just second nature. It's just something we do. But maybe you weren't, and singing together like this still seems kind of strange. Um, even if you maybe sing in your car when no one's listening, uh, or sing at a baseball game, or perhaps around a campfire. Maybe the thought of coming together like this with other people and singing and singing to God still seems a bit unusual. I mean, there's not a lot of places that we do things like this. But it has a lot of value, So, and, and, and we are called to do it. So let's just think through this a little bit. First of all, singing is a way to express what's in our hearts, express our emotions, our affections. Um, singing is important because we are not just heads on a stick, as the phrase goes. We, we don't just reason and think. We also feel deeply. And singing allows us to express that. And specifically, the type of feeling or affections that we are called to here, that we are given an example of here, are feelings and affections of joy. We are called to, to sing with joyful, exuberant singing. This is made even more explicit if you go back a psalm to Psalm 95. Uh, the first couple verses, it begins, O come, let us sing to the Lord. 
Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. So God invites us, calls us to come to him with songs of joy. Which, as we'll get into a little bit later, this means that there are sufficient reasons to do this. God does not call us to do something that there are not sufficient reasons to do. We'll come back to that. Secondly, notice that we are called to sing to the Lord. So we are not just singing, we are singing to God. Uh, worship that we do is God-directed, it's God-centered, it's ultimately about Him and for Him. It's a response to our beholding who He is and giving Him His due. Sometimes we can be so overly focused on productivity, on accomplishing things, on self-improvement, and, and perhaps we wonder, even as we're doing something like singing, what, is it, what am I getting out of this? What is this doing for me? Well, ultimately, singing to God is good and right and true, regardless of what we get out of it. It is. It ought to be. It is fitting for those who have been created by God, for those who have been saved by God. It is fitting for us to sing to God. But then thirdly, there's also an aspect of singing that is for the sake of others. We are told here to tell of his salvation from day to day. In Ephesians 5, Paul tells the church to address one another, address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You've probably noticed, but there's something different about singing alone and singing with the church. We, we are specifically encouraged and built up and strengthened when we sing with other people, when we sing with God's people. This is why, and, and I hope this is true here, it's important that we don't make our instruments and the band so loud that you can't hear one another. It's also why it's important that we don't turn off all the lights and shine all the lights up here so that you don't know that you're actually with other people. This is not a concert. This is not something that you come to in, as merely spectators. You are active participants in the church singing to God, for God, and for one another. We need to hear one another sing. This is also not just a time for you and I to have an encounter or experience with God. This is a time for us to encounter God in part through the people of God. We need other people. This is one of many reasons that online church is not what God designed church to be. We need each other. So we're called to sing and then we are called to do something else in these first few verses. Um, tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory, that is, his perfections, the perfections of who he is. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. And so here we, we kind of shift from God-directed praise to other-directed witness and testimony, and proclamation. Because of who God is, because of how great He is, 
we should both worship him and make him known so that others might worship him. Uh, John Piper says that missions, that is making, him, making God known or evangelism, missions exists because worship doesn't. In other words, there are people out there and perhaps even in here who don't worship God, who don't even know that the, God is worthy of worship, and so we need to make him known. We, we make God known, we tell others about his greatness and his grace, not only out of love and concern for them, but ultimately out of a concern for the glory of God, out of a concern that the praise of God would increase across the earth. Worship, or missions exist because worship doesn't. We understand something of this just from everyday life, right? When you find something to be awesome or beautiful or compelling or attractive, you want to tell other people about it. Like, did you, have you tried this burger at that restaurant? Or did you see this show? Or have you heard this speaker or author or whatever? Like, when you find something that's so compelling to you, you want to tell people about it. When we rightly see God for who he is and see his, his worth, his beauty, his wisdom, his goodness, we are to make him known. Now, this can get intimidating to us. Like, how do we do that? Uh, well, very simply, that, I mean, the, the matter of it is just be ready to talk about him. Be willing and ready to speak about God. That, that he is sovereign creator over all things, that he's gracious savior of all who would come to him, tell about your own story, that you are a sinner saved by grace and who has found comfort and life and hope in him alone. Not every declaration needs to be a full-on gospel presentation. Find ways to convey the truths about God in everyday conversations. Speak of going to church or to your small group or study group. Ask questions to open the door. The world wants to tell us that religion, faith, is a private thing. That what we believe about God is just between us and God and we shouldn't be discussing it in public. But if God is sovereign Lord of all, who will one day judge the world, and if God has given Christ that all would be saved who call on him, then our religion, our faith, is not a private thing. It's not something to be kept to ourselves. The glory and worth and compassion and love of God needs to be declared among the nations and made known. For some of you, this may literally mean going to the nations. Sensing a call to be missionaries in faraway places. We have sent out missionaries from here in God's grace. And perhaps God may be calling others of you to do that. But for most of you, you are called to be missionaries right where you are. And to make known the glory and reality and goodness of God to the people that he's put in your life, to your neighbors, 
friends, family, co-workers. So we're called to sing, and we're called to declare. And then the last couple verses there that we read, verses 4 to 6, give us the reason for this, why this is appropriate and called for. Let me read them again. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Always take note of the word for in Scripture or for purpose statements. Why we do things matters just as much as what we do. Or to put it another way, God cares about our hearts and our motivations, our affections and desires just as much as what we do. So, and, we, and we get that here. What is our motivation in singing to God and declaring about God? For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Only Yahweh the God who revealed himself to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who came into the world in the person of Jesus, is the creator and sustainer of all things. He alone is God. There's no rivals, nothing else worthy of the worship that he is worthy of. Again, what is our motivation in singing to God and declaring the greatness of God? He is for, he is great and not meagerly to be praised, not begrudgingly to be praised, but greatly to be praised. His salvation, his glory, his marvelous works, as the psalm says, all reveal his greatness. Now, for Israel, for the first, in context here, for the first people who were singing, hearing this psalm, they had many evidences of God's marvelous works. God had rescued them mightily out of Egypt. He had fed and led them in the desert. He had met them at Mount Sinai and revealed his, himself to them, his ways, his will, his commandments. He made a covenant with them, promising to be their God. He had given them a land of their own where they could live under his good rule. He had rescued them from their enemies and from them, their, themselves a few times. Each of these instances of God's steadfast love and commitment was reason for a new song, right? As verse 1 calls us to, sing to the Lord a new song, which doesn't mean old songs are bad, but it does mean that each new evidence of God's grace warrants fresh singing and fresh words. God's mercies are new every morning, and so every morning we have new opportunities and reasons to be singing. And if there were reasons for new songs at this point in salvation history, there are so many more reasons for new songs today. How much more warrant do we, who have beheld God's love and power and, and, and goodness and beauty in the cross of Christ in a, such a clear and abundant way, how much more warrant do we have for singing new songs with new words? 
all of God's mighty acts of salvation, all of his wondrous deeds in the Old Testament point forward to God's greatest act of salvation in Jesus. Where God defeated the powers of sin, death, and the devil to make a people for himself. We were dead and condemned, as we confessed earlier. That's jarring. We were dead and condemned, enemies with God because of our sin, with no hope in the world. We were deserving of eternal punishment and separation from God. But in the words of Paul in Ephesians 2, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We could go and turn to numerous other places to reflect on the wonder, the marvelous works that God has done for us, the, the greatness of his, his mercy and grace. But the point is, as we reflect on these things, as we consider what God has done for us and the heart that that flows out of, we are to burst forth in new songs, in singing. The second call to worship then expands the focus. So this singing and declaring of the glory of God is not only fitting for God's people in context here, the Israelites, it is fitting for all the peoples of the earth, Gentiles included. And that's one of the, the, um, the amazing things about this psalm is how it, it reaches out, even at this time in, in salvation history, reaches out to the whole world. So verse 7 Ascribe, which is probably not a word we use all that often. Uh, ascribe just means give to or acknowledge. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Uh, the peoples means people groups. So this is all the people groups of the world. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Or give him. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him, all the earth, all the earth. Say, among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established, it shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples of all the earth with equity. So even though God chose the Israelites for a specific purpose, to be the people among whom he first worked and revealed himself. This was ultimately so that they would give witness, be his witnesses to the whole world. Today, this witnessing role belongs to the church. We are tasked with being witnesses and declaring his glory among the nations. And the essential message that we proclaim is the Lord reigns, there in verse 10, the Lord reigns. God is sovereign over all. 
over both those who acknowledge him and those who don't. The Lord reigns. Now, there are times for making reasoned arguments about the existence of God and, and the truth of the Bible and, and what God is like and all of these things. This is called apologetics. There are times for doing that. But there are also times for simply plainly stating the Lord reigns. And in the end, it's not a matter of whether you are convinced by the evidence or not, but a matter of acknowledging him in humble faith. The Lord reigns, and one day every knee will bow. As part of his reign, he is judge, and we're told that he will judge the earth with equity. Uh, now, equity means according to truth, according to what is right and just, according to the standard that God has set, which is God himself. Right now, there is a lack of justice in our world, as there has been from the time Adam fell. We don't see the world ruled according to God's moral order. But when he comes, all will be made right. All will be judged rightly and justly, not by our perceived sense of justice. Thank God, none of us will judge the world, but by God. And this news of his reign and his judgment is, is good news to his people, to those who would who are his. We, we know that his reign is a good reign. This is not a fearful thing to any who have cast themselves on his mercy and love. But if we haven't done that, if we have dismissed his mercy and love, and if we seek to rule our own lives, the news that the Lord reigns is not good news. The news that the Lord is judge and will judge the world with equity, is not good news to us. It has been um, built into us by our society and by our, our sin that submitting to the rule of another is a bad thing. We are conditioned to think that we are our own, belong to no one else, and owe nothing to no one else. Now, it's certainly true that submitting ultimately, to any other being except God is a bad thing. Don't do that. But we were made for him, by him, and made to find our life in him under his good rule. His reign is a good thing. His rule over our lives, our submitting to him completely is a good thing. And, and the, the joyous nature of a psalm like this is, in part, helping us to see that. Living as people who fear him and love him and, and sing to him is a joyful, good thing. Now, I want to zero in a little bit on this phrase, tremble before him. In verse 9, tremble before him all the earth. You also had in verse 4, he is to be feared above all gods. What is this about? Is that, is that good? There's a great book by Michael Reeves about the fear of the Lord called Rejoice and Tremble. And in the book, he speaks, Michael Reeves speaks, of a sinful fear of God and a right fear of God. 
of a sinful fear of God, he writes, sinful fear drives you away from God. This is the fear of the unbeliever who hates God, who remains a rebel at heart, who fears being exposed as a sinner, and so runs from God. This is the fear of God that is at odds with love for God. It is the fear that is instead rooted in the very heart of sin. Dreading, opposing, and retreating from God, this fear generates the doubt that rationalizes sin. Um, another way to, to say that is this kind of sinful fear doesn't see God accurately. or compl- It only sees God in part. It doesn't see that God is good and thus does not lead us to come to him. If our fear of God only pulls us away, causes us to retreat from God, or only to engage him half-heartedly or kind of legalistically just doing things to get him off our back, then we do not rightly fear God. But the right fear of the Lord, Michael Reeves goes on, says, right fear falls on its face before the Lord, but falls leaning towards the Lord. That's a phrase from Charles Spurgeon. It, it moves towards God. It's compelled drawn towards God. It's not as if love draws near and fear distances, nor is this fear of God one side of our reaction to God. It is not simply that we love God for his graciousness, but fear him for his majesty. That would be a lopsided fear of God. We also love him in his holiness and tremble at the marvelousness of his mercy. True fear of God is true love for God defined. It is the right response to God's full-orbed revelation of himself in all his grace and glory. Seen clearly, the dazzling beauty and splendor of God must cause our hearts to quake. And you find that this is, this is right as you read Scripture. Uh, you, you see that fear of the Lord goes hand in hand with loving the Lord. Um, in Psalm 145, it, it's in parallel, those who fear him and those who love him as the same group of people. If you rightly fear him, you love him. If you love him, you rightly fear him. In Jeremiah 32, God, God says, I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. So again, you see a fear that draws people near to God willingly. After Jesus is raised to life, uh, two, two women go to the tomb and are told by an angel that Jesus is alive. And we are told that, that they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. They had fear and great joy because the news was so good. Not because it was terrifying. Well, it was in a sense terrifying, but in a good sense. So to put this all together, there is a sense in which if we do not rightly fear God, we ought to be afraid of God. If we dismiss Him as insignificant or even as evil, there is a afraid of God that is right. But if we have a right fear of God and see that He is not just great and majestic but also good, not just full of might, but also mercy, then we have no need to fear with a sinful fear. We can tremble before him even as we sing with joy and declare his glory. We'll sing, we'll end today by singing the song Rejoice, where it talks about 
trembling with joy. And then there's a third and final call to worship in this psalm. We won't spend as much time on this one. Last three verses. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he, he comes for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the people's in his faithfulness. So here we see all of creation singing to worshiping God. All of creation knows its role, its job description, its calling to give praise to the God who reigns over all. And if inanimate creation knows what to do before God, knows to sing and rejoice, the implication is that we as human beings most certainly ought to do so as well. It is equally, if not more, fitting for us to sing for joy at God's reign. Now, to do this, we, there is a need for us to both look backwards in faith and look forward in faith. To look backwards and remember God's marvelous works and salvation and what he's done. We take communion each week to help us do this. We must never lose sight of Christ and him crucified. But we also have a need to continually look forward and Hope in the promises that God has given us, that he will come as judge, that all things will be made right, that we will live with him for eternity in a place where joyful righteousness dwells. To do this, we can't only just look right in front of us at what we're going through right now and what we're feeling and experiencing right now. We don't merely interpret life by what is happening to us right now. Now we live by faith, looking back and looking forward. And so even today, as we get ready to sing here and, and do what we're called to do here, um, it, it's, we are not called to ignore what's going on in our lives right now, but we are called to s interpret it in light of the bigger picture of who God is and what he's done and what he promises for us. And to do that, and, and in doing that, we are called to sing and to rejoice and to declare. This is a, a, a call for joyous singing. Sing with joy. At the very least, notice that we are not, God is not interested in mere belief. Just mere mental assent to some truths about him. Now, even the, the demons believe and shudder. God is also not interested in us merely going through the motions of religion. Going to church, offering up a prayer or two, doing some quiet time and checking off a box that we've done our part. There is nothing in this that would lead us to believe that. There is a way to fear God where you merely do things for God to keep him at arm's length and never draw near to him. 
No, God is after hearts alive to the wonder and worth of who he is. God is after singing saints. Are you a singing saint? <laughs> Through instruments as well. God is people into creating people who burst forth with praise to God and declarations about God. So we're going to take communion as we do each week as a tangible way to look backwards and draw our attention to his greatness in the, the pinnacle of his revelation of giving himself humbly and sacrificially for sinners like you and I. If you have trusted in Christ, this is for you, uh, it, but it's not only for you, it's for us. We do this together as one. And then we're going to sing. We're going to sing a couple songs. I'm going to throw a loop at you. We may actually sing three songs in a row. Because that's what God calls us to do. Not, not the three songs part, but just calls us to sing. And there's no end to singing of new songs. So we're just going to sing for a couple hours. Hope you didn't have anything planned this afternoon. Let's pray.